Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. And today is Metal Day. Rolling Stone just published its online list of the 100 greatest heavy metal albums of all time. And to talk about it, we have the editors behind that list, our resident metal obsessives, Corey Groh and Hank Steamer, as well as Brittany Spanos. And along the way, they reached out to a number of metal legends to put together their own top 10 lists. And among those was an actual metal god, Rob Halford of Judas Priest. And we're about to be joined by Rob Halford himself. But in the meantime, guys, what was the thinking behind the criteria for the list? How did you define metal? And we'll get more deeply into this later, but very quickly, what, what was the thinking? This is something that Hank and I were talking about. This is Corey. Uh, the, uh, the, the starting point of metal, in a way, was you know Black Sabbath's first album, you know, coming out of Birmingham, England, and they had just that, that really direct sound. And so we decided that that was kind of the first pure metal album, and we, we kind of worked on that. You know, just the sound of those first, those three notes that open that song and just kind of the, the history of it after that. And that was sort of the dividing line. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it had, it, you know, it had the powerful guitars, it had the, the acrobatic drumming, it had the aggressive vocals, the piercing vocals, that sort of a thing. Um, and we kind of use that. I don't know if you want to build off that, Hank. Yeah. And, and, and I think in, in obviously in a, in a superficial way, tons of other rock music at that time had a lot of these characteristics, but I think that there's just like a certain kind of, um, darkness to Sabbath that that was I think of as like a line in the sand um, I, I think that if you take things like Zeppelin cream um, some of the other music at the time it, you know again it, it's got it's got a lot of the same things coming you know going on I mean these bands were basically like heavy blues bands or bands just like cranking up blues but Sabbath took it somewhere else and I think our our mission was to kind of like separate out that thread as it as as it's like moved up through the decades and to be clear that meant no Led Zeppelin no ACDC yeah yeah I mean we we, we we ruled out a lot of things that that in and I think in the common parlance would be considered you know quote-unquote metal classics heavy metal classics whatever you want to say I mean you know a record like appetite for destruction record like back in black um, you know kind of kind of we 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 took the stance of of making like fairly strict criteria that that you know helped us to come up with some kind of like to framework that we could carry this through and really spotlight some more of the you know the places that metal has gone in the last say 20 years or something and, and to really get into the subgenres like death metal and black metal and grindcore and uh, you know up to the present day things like death heaven um, i think that like making that distinction between you know what we call hard rock and and you know what is metal what is heavy metal allowed us to 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 follow that thread further than we would have maybe been able to had we you know because it, it's like if zeppelin or something is on there it's like you know a lot of the list is going to be taken up with you, you could make a whole list of of 60s and 70s rock you know if, 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 you're, if you're sort of taking it there. sort of proto metal metalish yeah yeah things like that and, and like I, I think that you know again these distinctions are are subjective but we we made them in a way that made sense 
to us and we and we just tried to stick to those kind of guidelines as we move through the decades when we were talking before the show you defined metal in actually the same way that the supreme court once defined obscenity which is uh, you know it when you hear it uh but can you <laughs> do you want to get and besides something that follows in the uh, vein of black sabbath do you guys want to get a little closer to maybe uh, a, an actual definition of metal there's sort of an aggression that we're looking for. There's sort of a, a head, like I said, a heaviness of the guitar tones. You know what I mean? It's something that separates it from rock and roll that you hear in like a lot of like, like, like heavier, like rock and roll and that sort of a thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a darkness. It's an aggression. It's a, you know, it's an excitement that that's maybe a little bit different. It's a different feeling. And, and I think also as you move into some of, especially like the UK stuff, like the classic, uh, you know, obviously priest and, and maiden and, and, and things like that. Like there's this almost like epic kind of, you know, grand grandeur to the music that that's just like, it, it's just sort of set apart and it kind of like ties into the whole image of metal as this like heroic kind of triumphant, you know, just, just way of expressing yourself musically that, that, that really bridged off from, you know, what we would call rock and roll or, or, or just, you know, kind of a more like just the way that hard rock would feel, I guess. On the first uh, Black Sabbath album, there's a song, The Wizard, that is driven largely by harmonica. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of like sh- shade and light. Of, there's absolutely. On there. yeah. And I think it's important to note that Sabbath were a blues band, you know, like, you know, early. Yeah. yeah just, oh. just, you know, that's, that's sort of where all this stuff started, you know, with, with these British bands in, in the 60s. I mean, was, you know, bands covering, you know, blues in, in clubs. But I think that like Sabbath, like they turned a page somehow. Do you know what I mean? Like, like the, 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 the first song in the first Black Sabbath album, like it, it just, I think it represents, it represents a, a, a dividing line in the way that like rock music could feel. And I think that, you know, enough so that it can be called a different thing. And I guess that's what we're trying to trace. At the same time, the number one, album on the list is not the first Black Sabbath album, it's the, it's the next one, uh, Paranoid. And basically, the answer for that, I assume, is simple. It's a better album, right? It <laughs> is. That, yeah, it yeah. is. How did that kind of work, that discussion? It was pretty much from when we first started out, we knew that it would be a Black Sabbath record. The only other thing that could possibly challenge that is Master of Puppets, which is number two mm. on the list. Uh, but Sabbath just defined it. And the thing is, like, the first album is maybe a little more raw, and it you know it's number five on the list on our list. Uh, but you know it's, it was a little more refined on Paranoid, and Paranoid has a little bit more breadth in the styles that are on there because Paranoid the song is very fast, War Pigs is very heavy, Iron Man is very heavy. You know, uh, there's all this moodiness to Hand of Doom. Uh, there, there's a little bit there's a little bit more uh, uh, depth to it than the first one, and that's mm-hmm. why that was number one. But obviously, the first album is is incredible, and we we wanted to you know pay tribute to that, and that's why we made it number five. Yeah, I, I remember very early on the discussions that the whole thing was extremely vague, but we just kind of looked at each other and said, uh, paranoid and master, and we'll figure everything else out. Mm-hmm. Like we had no, we, we, we had nothing. Those were, those were just like the stakes in the ground. And then we moved ahead from there. And why master of puppets by Metallica? Why was that so clearly like sort of the number two or even a possible number one for you guys? There's just a heaviness. There's an intricacy to it. There's a sophistication to Master of Puppets that isn't on maybe the earlier Metallica records. There's a there's a maturity to it that just worked perfectly. So rumor has it that we may really be joined now by Rob Halford. Let's check if that is true. Yes, it's true. I'm here. Hi, Hello. Rob. Hey, welcome to the hey, show. Guys. Hey. I was curious for you, and I, I would say you're something of an authority on this issue. What makes 
a metal album as opposed to a hard rock album or something else? What what is the distinguishing or what are the distinguishing characteristics for you? Yeah, uh, these days it's it's kind of blurred lines, isn't it, to some extent? But um, wow, I've been making metal for over forty years, so I come from the the very beginnings and the roots of it. So I think for me, it's basically the simplicity of um, the performance from a basic band, you know, drums, bass, um, initially one guitar player and a singer. And it's that um, it's that way that metal became defined coming out of the, you know, the early blues, electric, progressive rock um, the vibes that were going on down here in the UK in um, in the 60s to some extent you know it was by the end of the 60s that metal became truly defined out of all of those those genres so so for me it really is that that very almost kind of primitive element of, of, of all of those instrumental characteristics the way the drums and the bass and the and the lead guitar, and I'm talking about essentially riffs, the heaviness of the simple playing riff and the, the definitive simplicity of the heavy drum beat, and then on, obviously on top of that some um, some vocals. But it's it's the it's the, the hooks of the melodies of the notes of of the instruments, and then the, the singing that's incorporated into it that really, for me, um, are the kind of bass, the, the anchor. The, the roots of uh, the metal sound. Corey was wondering before the show if you remembered when you first kind of heard the term heavy metal and what you made of it and what associations you you initially had with it. Yeah, there wasn't really a there wasn't really a moment for me because you know growing up as a as a teenager listening to all kinds of music and especially the way that you know when when you're in your when you're in your early teens and you're going through that that kind of developmental stage of you know angst and and anger and, and fury at the world and you, you you're trying to find a music that touches you um, and kind of hits you with um, and something relative to those emotions. I was listening to um, early people really like the Stones, but but then bands that were getting harder and stronger like even bands like the who mm. you know the simplicity of my generation and and um and then obviously uh, bands like deep purple and 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 by definition we're not talking metal here but we're talking about had the heaviness of things coming through and then obviously jimmy page laying down those 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 tones and, and riffs with a whole lot of love and communication breakdown. Mm. Um, Very key moment there for that chugging. Yeah. You know, that was doing it for me. But, but so I, I can't remember an, an actual band or, or a time or a, a sound really until obviously somebody like Sabbath came along. Um, that's when it became really solid and you had a band to put a definition to heavy metal, Black Sabbath, in that respect. And we're talking about what, like 60, 68, 69, really. Which, ironically enough, is the, is the year that Judas Priest formed. So it, it's all around that, that end of the 60s as we lurch into the 70s when it all became very real. Yeah. 
Did you see Sabbath Live? Like, I know they used to do a play like Henry's Blues House in Birmingham. Did you see like those? Yeah, shows? yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and it was just amazing, you know, because there was really no other band at the time that was making that kind of noise. And the the top album by your band on our list is British Steel. What sticks out in your mind about kind of making that album and the goals behind that album and just the, the general vibe as you guys were, were writing and recording that? Well, we were in transition, really. We were, we were moving. We just came back off a great um, tour with ACDC in Europe. And um, we were at that time in our career where we were literally jumping off a, off a big tour and going straight into the studio with very very much kind of little or nothing type of um, things musically. But I think that the hookup with Tom Allen, Colonel Tom, who we've just been working with right now here in the UK and the next Bruce album, along with Andy Sneap and Mike Exeter, but Tom came along, and, and I think being in Lennon's house uh, and just just really coming off that ACD to, ACDC tour with a lot of... Um, awareness of what that band was particularly doing. I think ACDC are a great band in terms of, of, of songs and, and song structure and whether that filtered into us. I've never really thought about this until now, Corey. <laughs> whether that filtered into us, I don't know. But we went into uh, Lennon's old house with some very basic ideas and those riffs like Living After Midnight, Breaking the Law, even Grinder, Rapid Fire, Steeler, they all came out of where that where we were at that time in terms of our musical development. We were still really growing mm. and 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 um, trying to find who we were and, and, and what to do next. So British Steel is very raw and very organic in that respect. So on on your own list, we talked about Black Sabbath, the first album, which is your number one on the list, and then uh, number two. You put Metallica, Kill 'Em All. What do you remember about hearing Metallica as someone who's already in a very famous metal band? And what what impression did did they make on you in that album in particular? Just being aware, I think most of most of the musicians that I've put on my list, and I've, I was checking the Rolling Stone 100 list yesterday. Um, I think most of those musicians we're all aware of each other. We're all curious. We're all interested about what we're doing. You know, you know, respective bands and. And being a British metalhead uh, and, and having this great love for America and the culture of America, the rock and roll and metal scene of America, it was just very, um, very obvious to me that something exciting was happening coming out of, of the Bay Area in general, not only Metallica, but was obviously Slayer and Exodus and Testament and a ton of other bands. So, um, but Metallica would would. We're, we're really leading the metal charge at that particular time with bands like, with, um, rather with albums like um, Kill Em All and Ride the Lightning and Justice For All. They were just really generating tremendous excitement throughout the country and the rest of the world, but particularly coming from the USA. Metallica, you know, everybody had their ears aimed at the sound that was that was coming from Metallica at that time. And then the uh, next thing on your list, speaking of really being open to new stuff, is is Corn, uh, the self-titled Corn album. There, I mean, there were some people of your generation who didn't like new metal and and didn't respond to it, but I, you embraced it. Why? Yeah, much as I'm doing now, when I listen to bands like Royal Blood, you know, um, um, 
I, I, when, I put my, when I put my top ten list together for Rolling Stone, I, I wanted to emphasise this wasn't in any kind of chronological order of preference. These were just things that popped out of my head and I was putting them hmm. down on, on, my, um, on my laptop. But uh, with Corn, I remember I was, in, I was in the fight band at the time and I was working in the studio in Phoenix and somebody sent me some of their songs. And... And, uh, you know, this happens in music. In all kinds of music, you, you hear something coming out of the speakers that is incredibly uh, fresh, and, 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 and in, this, in this instance, it was, for me, you know, one of these game-changer kind of um, experiences. So it was just the tone and uh, of, of the way that the music was sounding and, and the, the super, super heaviness and and again jonathan being a singer i'm always i'm always curious to hear the way singers interpret the metal sound that they're making and jonathan is doing something extraordinary you know so for me when i heard corn at that moment much like in on the other side of the coin coming out of seattle when i heard man in the box by um allison chains you know i'm, I'm like Whoa, this is gonna really shake things up and that's what corn did and uh, number four on Rob Halford's list of the greatest heavy metal albums of all time is Iron Maiden. And speaking of <laughs> reacting as a vocalist, I mean, when you when you first heard uh, Bruce Dickinson, what what was your impression well, of this him? This is the Paul Diano album. Oh, excuse me. So even <laughs> a, a twist, <laughs> yes. a twist. It, it's great, man. It's great. It's great. We're good friends, and 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 with Iron Maiden especially, uh, to see them burst forth. So strongly and powerfully from the UK shores onto the worldwide scene uh, it was just a great thrill, you know. Because um, all, all of us metal bands, we, we, we all have such so many things in common, and, and this great dream and desire of, of getting your music out to as many people around the world as possible is still a thrill. And so, you know, we we were just slightly off the off the page when this new wave of British heavy metal started to really, you know, make a noise out of out of the UK and and to see uh, Maiden developing so so strongly and so quickly really because there was this in- intense fury of, of activity here in the UK coming out of the the back end of the um, the punk new wave scene. In, in, in metal particularly, we were all terribly excited to see all of these great things happening on in the UK, around the UK shore. So, um, yeah, you know, when, when Bruce got a hold of the microphone and I heard his voice, I thought, man, this is it. This is the this is the voice that um, that's going to define and lead Maiden so strongly. And wow, what a what a great band to see them. So huge and and, um, and still making great metal now is just a it's a great kick. It's, it's wonderful. And uh, Slayer, Rain and Blood is next. Yeah, I love you know everybody knows I, I have this great um, love of all kinds of metal, all different subgenres of the word heavy metal, and um, and Slayer's um, term for heavy metal is is very uh, is very unique and special. You know, coming out of that Bay Area um, scene around some of those other bands we've just mentioned, and for them to carve out their own particular style and niche in a, in a unique way was great. And, and just the ferocity, the sheer intensity and, and power, you know, and especially off Raining Blood. And um, 
the language that they were using, you know, it was pretty, um, pretty um, evocative, you know, pretty strong, <laughs> and, and saying, a lot, saying a lot of things that, that, that I love to hear that those kinds of bands say. Um, just, just great. And again, again, live. So the, the great thing about these bands that that that, that, that are on the, the 100 Rolling Stone list, but particularly the ones I, I hope I've, I've picked from, from my top 10, you've got to go see these bands live. You know, mm. it, it's one thing to hear a band coming out the speakers or in your, your ears, but to, you, you have fans, whatever. But to go and see them live is is really the the, the, the essence of, of of what a band is. Because you can do all kinds of things in the studio, but to take a band live is is the real is the real moment of, of, of purity. And if you see Slay alive, it's just it's crazy, man. I love that band. Yeah, I was going to say too. The next album is Pantera. The thing that was interesting to me about that one is that was around when you worked with them too. Like slightly after that, you did the Light Comes Out of Black song. Uh, what do you remember about the first time that you heard Cowboys from Hell? Like, how did you discover this band? Well, I'll, I'll quickly tell you the boring story everybody knows. <laughs> um, I, I, I was, the priest was up in in, um, in Toronto rehearsing for the 91 Painkiller tour, and I was in the hotel and watching the TV. And Dimebag was on on, a, on the Much Music TV channel, and he was wearing a British Steel T-shirt, and I was listening <laughs> to him talk. I had no idea who Pantera was. And listening to him talk, and then they, they played a few clips, and I'm like, man, what is this? This is crazy. So I uh, called the station and said, you know, is he still there? Yeah, I jumped in a cab, went older. We met for the first time, and much like whenever you met Dimebag, he was a friend instantly, very accessible, very warm, very beautiful in the way he talked about music and people. So we became instant friends, and Pantera was playing that night at the club in, to- in Toronto, and I just went out and hung with him, you know, and I saw them play, and I'm just, you know, pinned against the wall. There was only a few people there, and... Pantera was still, you know, kind of in that groundbreaking mode. But um, to to watch that band at that moment playing to just a you know a small bunch of people, but playing like they were playing to a thousand, hundred thousand, a million people with such such conviction was again like Corn, you know, like Slayer, you know, game changing bands. And um, I was so so thrilled with what I saw and, and heard and hanging out with the guys we um we took Pantera with us on the painkiller tour of europe and uh, i used to love standing on the side of the stage and watching them go out you know, like you play paris and then i'd stand on the side of the stage and watch the band go on and everybody's like who is this band you know and nobody had heard of them and this is the balls that the band had they would walk out onto the stage we are pantera and they listen to this and they would just <laughs> tear the place apart and within 20 20 minutes by the end of their set 30 minutes by the end of their set the room was in was a shambles you know the the, the venue was just chairs were flying people were, people in making pits and it was extraordinary it was great memories from that moment of pantera on the cowboys from hell release well rob halford thanks so much for joining us we, we couldn't have had someone better to join us to talk about the greatest metal albums of all time and you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now, and we'll be back with a lot more metal.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So we were going through our own list. Uh, number one is Black Sabbath Paranoid. Number two is Metallica, Master of Puppets. Number three is uh, Judas Priest, British Steel. And we had the, the lead singer of that album talking about it, which is pretty cool. And number four is Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast. So what is it about that album? It You know, obviously you have... Bruce Dickinson in some ways kind of being like the herb metal vocalist. It's like, oh yeah, Robert Plant went here, I'm going here. That's part of the thing. He had and, that whole operatic thing. Yeah. You know, he you know, his his nickname was Bruce Air Raid Siren Dickinson, <laughs> you know what I mean? He he had that that totally like commanding presence and then when you paired that with Iron Maiden songwriting at the time which were these long epic intricate orchestral almost songs like Hallowed Be Thy Name, you know, you know it, it just blended perfectly with that. But at the same time, he had this kind of forceful quality that would work with a run to the hills. Uh, and it just was the perfect marriage of that. And also, you know, I, I think, it, I don't know if I did this in my interview with Lars Ulrich recently, but I think he was saying that that was also one of the first albums where uh, there weren't ri- lyrics already written. He wasn't going to have to sing Paul Diano's lyrics where Bruce could just create his own sound and his own thing. And it just all congealed into this amazing record. What else about that album? Hang? I mean, I guess like Corey said, Iron Maiden, it does represent like the, the pinnacle of like, just sort of like drama and metal. I mean, obviously there's things like Dio, which you'll see later on the list and, and, you know, Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell and, and, and things like that. But I think that like Bruce Dickinson's arrival, like it, it set like a paradigm for a certain type of, of metal performance. And I think that, you know, we talked about this. It, one of the criterias we mentioned earlier was like a certain kind of darkness and Iron Maiden is not necessarily the band they, they have like a whole other thing going on. I think this is sort of evident in later albums like Power Slave where there's just like a really like triumphant quality to, to, to Iron Maiden that, that allows them to like fill stadiums all over the world as they still do now. I think that that whole strain of metal you know, where, where, where the drama is so amplified is, you know, as opposed to trying to like scare you or something, they're trying to sort of like, you know, get your blood pumping and like inspire you. It's not, it's not like Sabbath where it's like this depressing, bleak, you know, it just extremely grim thing. It's, it, it, it changes metal into like, you know, an ins- like an inspiring force or something like that. Yeah. I think that's what made it. It also helps that you have Bruce, who's like the most interesting man in metal. He fences, he flies planes, right. he, you know, does dog fights. You yeah. know, he, he lives that that what that that feeling that you're talking about. It is funny if you meet Bruce Dickinson. He's like the least sort of satanic dude on the planet, and yet there <laughs> there was a, a tendency towards that that subject matter. Look at the number of the beast. Yeah, six six six. Next on the list is uh, Black Sabbath's uh, self titled album, which we we talked about a little bit. And uh, next is, is Slayer, Rain and Blood. So why Slayer and why that album? 
it's just the most intense thing. You know, obviously there are heavier records, there are more extreme records, there are grittier records, but there's just something about the intensity of Rain and Blood that you just don't hear on any other record, no matter how much people put into it. The fact that it starts at, I think, at like 210 BPM, <laughs> with just like with Rain and Blood, and you just, it's like, it, just rattles you and it just it doesn't let up at all for 28 or 29 minutes which feels like an hour because it's just so much and and, and i think there was also something that we mentioned in the in the the blurb that Corey wrote for that which was the the rick rubin production um yeah. it, it's just a huge like turning of the page in terms of how metal sounded on record i mean the, you can listen to earlier slayer records and they're intense and they're very good but they don't have this I mean, they're, they're, the Rain and Blood has a vi- like a violence and an in-your-face quality to the sound. It's direct. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like it, it it definitely set a bar for for just like you know the drums are just so clear and you know Dave Lombardo obviously basically like Dave Lombardo being kind of like the quintessential fast mm. metal drummer of all time. I mean, he, he's kind of like, and, and I think, you know, other drummers will tell you this, but I, I mean, in, in terms of just like that, that sort of like thrash bar being set, playing extremely fast double bass, just with like pummeling, relentless force, like Dave Lombardo is the king of that. And Rain in Blood is like the album where you, 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 you know, you could just feel that. From from the you know for, as soon as the record starts, it's like the drums are just like front and center. And a fun fact about that that you might remember from the Rick Rubin "My Life and Songs" we did is he actually turned up the drums on that, and that was one of the first albums he did that. He stripped away all of the reverb so you could actually yeah. hear what everyone was playing, and that's why you get a song like "Angel of Death" or, or "Raining Blood" that are just so direct. Mm-hmm. In fact, let's hear uh, the opening track from Slayer's and "Raining Blood," which is "Angel of Death." So you guys are sure that's metal? Uh, <laughs> might might be easy listening. <laughs> um, so next on the list, Motorhead, No Remorse, and that's actually a compilation album. Is, is the it, only compilation yeah. album on this list. So how did we end up there? We couldn't. Well, part of you know it begins with what Motorhead album do you pick? There are just so many incredible ones. There's Ace of Spades. There's my favorite, which is Overkill. Uh, I love the first album, and so it's just one of these hard things where you needed to find the right cross section that represented everything. And, you know, something about no remorse. Plus it has killed by death on it, which is an incredible song just because of the, the lyrics, uh, you know, it's just Lemmy being dry and, and, uh, witty. Uh, but it, it, it has everything. It has all of the flavors of motor motorhead from, you know, 19 from the, from when they formed until about 1984. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's all that's the the singularity you know that's the thing that stood out to me about that blurb that jd gonsadine wrote is every you could say that every motorhead song sounds the same but there's a singularity to each of them that has this special quality where if you listen to the song overkill you know it's that drumming if you listen to ace of spades it's just the his the, his vocal hook you know he, he just was able to do that let's hear killed by death by motorhead So what a Motorhead kind of symbolized in the kind of history of metal? What what was their importance to you guys? I, I mean, I think that Motorhead, I mean, you know, and obviously a lot of this stuff was coming up when, when Lemmy died, but 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 
you know, we were talking about this this Iron Maiden thing with this like sort of arena filling, like triumphant, dramatic, you know, paradigm of metal. Motorhead is 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 in some ways the polar opposite. You know, it, it's kind of like you know, Lemmy obviously was a was someone who was always name checking Chuck Berry and things like that. It's the rock and roll side of heavy metal. It's the side of heavy metal that is extremely gritty. It's extremely the idea that if it's in any way fancy. It's because I think that metal is, especially as you move into the eighties the and nineties, the virtuosity of the playing becomes, it becomes almost, you know, comedic. And certainly people have, you know, this idea of shred and this idea of, of, of just taking, you know, the maximal quality of metal motorhead represents, you don't need to make it fancier. You absolutely do not need to like quote unquote, improve this in any way. This is just like, you know, it was fine to begin with, and let's just roll. It's it. that simplicity that Rob was talking about on the phone. Yeah. They just embodied that, you know. And then they also had the speed. They had the kind of punk side. They had the rock and roll side, and then it's just so heavy. <laughs> right. I always think of them like the, writing a song in tribute to the Ramones. I think it's like a, mm-hmm. you know, is 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 it's an important thing because it's like, you know, I think Lemmy was was all about like uniting these very primitive strains of rock and roll that are very catchy and like, you know, anthemic like bar music almost. Mm. You know what I mean? Like like w- which is a very very different thing than like I mean, Master Puppets like Corey was saying. I mean, you're talking essentially like a like a almost a class especially with coming from Cliff Burton, like it's almost a classical approach to metal and like a compositional one and like very epic and very you know there's some Bach on that album right before uh you know uh yeah right before uh damage inc there's a little bit of come sweet death yeah and and so motorhead is is absolutely there's no classical (laughs) it's just classic (laughs) so the next on the list is megadeth peace sells but who's buying and i think to some of the uninitiated people might have the impression that megadeth is just sort of like a cut rate metallica you know that that's sort of a I, I think a that's so wrong. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying it's an informed opinion, but I've mm-hmm. I've kind of heard that people. And I should mention uh, for full disclosure that that Corey Grow is wearing a Megadeth T-shirt. <laughs> right I'm now. biased. I'm very um, biased. So there's actually a bunch of Megadeth albums on this list. So so kind of explain and def- and perhaps slightly defend Megadeth, especially people who might mostly know them for that for Dave Mustaine uh, weeping in a Metallica documentary, which is an extremely unfair representation yeah. of a of a great man. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to get into that. Dave Mustaine deserves so much credit for for what heavy metal is. He doesn't get as much credit because of various things, uh, but he was there writing Kill 'Em All with Metallica. He wrote, you know, three or four songs on Ride the Lightning. He helped develop that sound. There's no there's no cheap version of Metallica with Megadeth, you know, and you know, you, you I can understand if people don't like his singing style um, and his voice, but there's a, you know, like I was saying with Motorhead, there's kind of a punky side to Megadeth. There's a little attitude there that you don't really hear in a lot of other bands. On an album like Peace Sells, though, he you know he took the aggression and the anger he was feeling and he put it into this really intricate, like we were saying with uh, Master Puppets, it's a very sophisticated album, um, especially when you go into like My Last Words or you go into... Uh, uh, Devil's Island. There's some songs on there, and just the way that they play. There's a jazz side to it. There's, you know, like a lot of Gar Samuelson or Gar Samuelson. I can't remember how he pronounced it. The way that he drummed is very jazzy, and uh, uh, the guitarist on that album, Chris Poland, was a jazz guy too. And so there's just this, you know, intensity to it. And then obviously, then they would have this uh, a very direct song like "Peace Cells," which was the MTV News theme for a long time, just because it has that incredible bass line. Let's hear uh, "Peace Cells," the the title track from Megadeth.
and he's he, he's funny. Yeah, <laughs> he has funny, witty lyrics, which is another thing like Lemmy too, like like that. Like, uh, what do you mean I'm not kind? I'm just not your kind. You know what I mean? He, <laughs> this is that attitude I'm talking about. The lead guitarist on this album didn't he then like leave the band, and then uh, Dave Mustaine wrote a song about him called Liar. Isn't that uh, a thing that that happened? I'm not exactly sure if it was Chris Poland or not, but yeah, there were they had their their issues. You know, this is this is the album. The other thing about this album is unlike the first album where they blew all the their production costs on drugs, they like they snorted it they they did all sorts of things to that money uh this one sounds good this one is like you can actually hear what's going on it's, it's, a, it's a really smart record next in our top 10 is ozzy osbourne blizzard of oz britney spanos what do you love about that album i think that when i first got into metal like that like ozzy embodied everything that like represented metal to me and i feel like his just entire just stage presence like seeing him at Ozfest you know it was like such a pivotal moment in understanding what metal can be and what it sounds like live and like what it sounds like on record and Crazy Train especially is something that's continued to be so popular and I think that album is just such a pivotal moment in like what like kind of the theatrics of metal and just the darkness of it and he embodied all of that. Randy Rhodes is uh, for anyone who like kind of grew up uh, reading guitar magazines. Like Randy Rhodes looms large, like such a, a spectacular and unique mm-hmm. guitar player. He's a god. He is. A, he's. A, he is a god. You know, he it? came up around the same time as Eddie. Nobody knows who did the tapping thing first. It might have been Randy. And the sound on that record is just so different from what Black Sabbath did. It was so modern compared to Black Sabbath because little, of that a little neoclassical yeah. major key yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, obviously he di- he died very young, and so we we, mm-hmm. we missed out on a lot of what could have been defining sort of metal music from yeah. him. So it was, it, that album kind of stands as a testament to that as well. And number ten on our list is uh, Pantera, vulgar display of power. How key is the fact that this sort of ugly solid state tone, is that decision actually key to the awesomeness of Pantera? It's part of it, but I think that it really is just the fact that they were a unit. There was the, you know, Vinnie Paul's just aggressive, like the way he drummed is just incredible the way that it sounds. I'm sure Hank can speak to that too, but also Phil Anselmo's voice. And I have to give credit to one of our former, uh, our former Rolling Stone staffers, Brandon Geist, who's always said that. Phil is the one guy that just sounds like a man when he's like singing and he's up there and he just has that sound when he's singing walk when he's singing you know host, fucking hostile and all that sort of thing he just sounds like a man and he just has that that masculinity <laughs> that okay. maybe isn't in other things but there's just something about that the, 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 there's a toughness to that that you didn't really hear on maybe some of the other records that were coming out in 1992 I, I think that that album is like the quintessential in a lot of ways a quintessential 90s metal album mm-hmm. I mean obviously different things were happening new metal is is, is is a whole nother strain of things but Pantera there's just like a sleekness and just a, a kind of a meanness to it and 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 it, it just I mean it just sort of grooves in a whole different way than than you know Thrash was sort of the paradigm Pantera is like let's keep that you know that speed when we need it but also we can like downshift into you know like a song like Walk like Corey was yeah. saying it's just like this ex- it's a shuffle yeah exactly just like extreme groove you know let's, let's hear that Yes, that Texas, it could be uh, Pride and Joy by Steve Ray Vaughan is the same shuffle, but yeah, it is the Texas in there. So that's our top 10. I I wanted to, there's so much to talk about on this list, but one of the things that makes it great is its sort of idiosyncrasies and this sort of guiding ideas behind it, which help bring in things that some people might not say are not metal um, or 
the one album that you guys define as metal by a band, like for example, Women and Children First by Van Halen, uh, which is re- really interesting uh, in the sense that you, I think the idea is that I, that all the other albums are hard rock, but there they managed to make a metal album. Is that the thinking? Yeah, that is. A, I mean, it is their their most metal album. Like especially when you know, like, sure. everybody loves you know Van Halen one, and there's obviously no slight to that. But on Women and Children First, there's just the you know the Cradle of Rock. You know, there's you know everybody wants some. It's this. It's got it's metal. It's heavy. It's got kind of this party thing that David Lee Roth can only do. But the the riffing on there, especially from Eddie, is just incredibly heavy. And there's a Melvin's album on here. There's a Soundgarden album. There's also uh, an Evanescence album, Fallen, which for some reason, given all the kind of like idiosyncratic and interesting things on the list, that's the one that's controversial. Interesting. Brittany, I know that you were a big proponent of that. What what was your thinking behind including this album? I mean, for a lot of the same reasons that Corey and Hank outlined very early on, I think that Evanescence does embody a lot of what metal has always been i mean there is the darkness and also we didn't really get into like the mythology behind a lot of the lyrics and the stories in you know a lot of early sabbath and um dio and a lot of these bands have these very like mythological kind of grandiose stories that they're telling a lot of their songs um and i think that evanescence they embody a lot of what metal has always been and their sound was definitely obviously like very new metal leaning it was very gothic um kind of the alt metal scene that was going on in the early 2000s and I mean, with Amy Lee's voice, that's really in line with Bruce Dickinson. That's in line with Ronnie James Dio. And that's the kind of operatic, really um, just like powerful, booming voice that she has. And it's also very unapologetically feminine, which um, I mean, metal is also very defined by machismo and by, you know, masculinity. And I think something like Evanescence that also broke through the mainstream, I think Fallen really represents what where metal was going in the early 2000s. Fair enough. There's just other stuff that's really interesting. Uh, Faith No More's Angel Dust, an album I've always loved, um, and that it always was seen as kind of a proto-new metal album, but you guys decided it was, in fact, a metal album. What was the thinking there, and how much was there any question whether that should be included? I think Hank maybe questioned a little bit. I didn't have a problem with it. Do you want to explain, Hank? And what swayed you? Um, I mean, you know, I, I think that I think that Mike Patton, uh, I, I guess, just as sort of like a creative force, like like he he's obviously he's someone who really represents this this kind of like oddball streak in metal that that there's there's a whole movement that 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 just kind of springs from from him. And I, I think especially looking forward into his project Phantom Us, where he really just sort of like was like slicing and dicing metal into this weird avant garde composery thing that. Uh, our colleague Chris Weingarten had sort of cited another record on this list, uh, Naked City, was a big influence on Mike Patton. Anyway, but, but I, I think that, that Faith No More represents... Like a John Zorn thing. A, yeah, a John yeah, Zorn project, yeah. 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 I, I think that Faith No More represents an, like a sort of oddball streak in metal with a lot of humor and a lot of kind of like just experimental ideas that has become its own tradition of itself and faith no more is a is an absolute ground zero for 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 a lot of people working in that vein i guess i would say it's also heavy yeah exactly <laughs> what are you guys happiest that you managed to get on the list that might not have been an obvious uh, inclusion hank uh my my personal favorite metal album is is uh, morbid angels covenant um mm. and so that was one that i was you know obviously i was just kind of pushing pretty hard for uh, from the beginning um, in terms of this sort of ferocity element that we talked about with Slayer to me when I first heard Morbid Angel to be honest it just terrified me um, and that's what I want out of metal I want it to that's what I love about it is that it's it, it's just uh, holy shit what was that and that to me that that 
that summed that up more than any other like metal experience I've had in my life. So that was the one for me. Brittany, besides Evanescence, what's your favorite album on this list? Um, System of a Down's Toxicity is probably my favorite album of all time, but also my favorite metal album. Um, and I think that and Alice in Chains' Dirt, I'm really glad that we were able to include them. And Corey, what are you, what are you happiest that you managed to get on the list? And you know, what are your favorite stuff? The one thing that I felt like I really had to make a case for, and like uh, as for favorites, the top ten are my favorites. You know, like most of this list are my favorites. There's a you know, <laughs> there's a couple that came up in the the voting process that I maybe I don't love as much, but obviously felt were warranted. But the one that I made the biggest case for was Soundgarden's Louder Than Love. And Soundgarden have been just so mired in the whole grunge thing and the label and all of that stuff. But that is a metal album. And I wanted people to realize that that was a metal album and that it was a great metal album on top of that. I mean, it's interesting because when I first experienced Bad Motorfinger, when it first came out, I experienced it as a metal album. I mm-hmm. assumed it was a metal album. I mm-hmm. didn't even know it was possible with something else. Mm-hmm. Hank, what are, what are the kind of other kind of extreme choices on this list? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, you know, looking at kind of like the bottom reaches of the list, I think, um, you know, honestly, a band like Sun, you know, for you know, for people listening, that's the band S-U-N-N with kind of the weird zero symbol after it. Um, you know, again, another, another one strongly advocated for by Chris Weingarten. Um, but it, it really shows you how far, you know, people have really pushed this idea. Sun, you know, Sun being a band where it's basically like, let's remove the drums. Let's stretch out the, the riffs to these like half hour, you know, drone pieces or something like that. But still, you know, they come on stage in these robes and they're like embodying the spirit of metal while almost like you know taking the ground out from underneath it or something like that it's a feeling more than it's music guys thank you so much for being here to talk about Rolling Stone's list of 100 greatest metal albums of all time and there's a ton of music to explore I, I doubt anyone reading it has already heard all the albums and this has been Rolling Stone Music Now and we'll be back next week at 1pm on volume in the meantime download us as a podcast subscribe to us as a podcast and we will see you next week Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.